This week is Parshas Vayera. Vayera means, and he appeared to him. And it's a very packed Parsha. There's a lot of incredible episodes about Avraham Avinu, about Abraham, our forefather. It begins with the story of Abraham and the three guests. He thinks they're humans. They turn out to be angels. And they tell him that he's going to have a child within a year. Those angels go on to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Almighty tells Abraham that Sodom and Gomorrah be destroyed because of their evil behavior. And of course, Abraham tries to intercede on their behalf unsuccessfully. The angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah. They destroy the city. They save Lot. Isaac is born. And there's a conflict between Isaac and Ishmael. Sarah sends Ishmael and Hagar packing. And the Parsha ends with Abraham's attempted filicide to slaughter his son for God in the binding of Isaac. And of course, we know the story. The Almighty tells him to go slaughter him. He's ready to do it. And in the last second, in the 90th minute, the Almighty tells him, okay, stop. You've proven yourself. Now, before we begin, I want to acknowledge the sponsor of this podcast. This Parsha podcast is sponsored by Dan Coleman in honor of his wife, Shauna, his daughter, Elsie, and his fellow classmates at Temple Beth Torah in Humble, Texas. Now, the Mishnah tells us in the book of Pirkei Avos, in chapter 5, that Abraham was tested 10 different times. Now, the Mishnah doesn't make it clear what exactly those 10 times were, and therefore the commentaries, each one of them gives their own uh, listing of what were these 10. So, Rabbeinu Yonah, he breaks it down as follows. The first test, that was when Abraham was yet a child, and he believed in a divine, infinite creator, one creator, and he did not believe in idolatry. And that was very unpopular um, or very innovative at the time. And the king, Nimrod, was very disappointed with that. And he told Abraham, either you bow down to the idol or I throw you into a burning hot furnace. And Abraham chose to be burned in the furnace and the Almighty miraculously saved him. But Abraham jumped in, ready to die. That was the first test. The second test was when Abraham was told to leave his land, to leave his homeland, to leave the, the, his, fa- his father's home and go travel without a destination and to be told to go and leave and travel and take everything that you've had, all your possessions and just move. Well, where are you moving to? I don't know, wherever God tells me. That was an act of faith and therefore that was Abraham's second test. The third test was when there was a, a famine. The fourth test when, when Sarah was abducted. The fifth test the, the war of the four king, kings against the five kings. The sixth, when at the age of 99, the Almighty tells him to do a surgery, the circumcision. That, of course, is a great test. Number seven, when Sarah was abducted a second time. Number eight, when he had to kick out Hagar. And number nine is, according to the Rabbeinu Yonah, was the binding of Isaac. And number 10 is the burial of Sarah. But everyone, all the commentaries agree that this test of binding of Isaac was it was a great test where God says, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. Now, actually, in chapter 22, verse 1, the story begins, after these things, God tested Abraham. So the verse explicitly says this is one of the tests. Now, so what's the actual wording that the Almighty tells Abraham before he sends him on this mission? Verse 2, and he said, Please take your son, your only one, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and bring him up there as an offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So if you notice, 
the beginning of that verse, it says, please take him. This is an instruction, it's a mitzvah. There's many mitzvahs in the Torah, many mitzvahs given to Abraham. And it's very rare to see that God is asking someone and using the, the word please, please do it. So Rashi tells us, quoting from the Talmud, why does it say in the word please? Why, why, why is the money pleading with Abraham to do it? So Rashi tells, Rashi explains that the Almighty is intimating, please withstand this test. Why? Because if you don't, everyone's going to say that these, the first, that the, that the first nine tests, they were, had no substance. This is a very strange Rashi. Uh, this final test, Rashi learns that this is the final test. But in this final test, it was preceded by nine tests. But says Rashi, had Abraham failed in the final test, none of the other preceding nine tests would have any substance. The question is why? Uh, the commentaries in the book of Pertiavos, they tell us, uh, Ruach Haim tells us, that if you'll notice, the way it describes Abraham in the book of Pertiavos, with regards to this ten, these ten tests, it calls him Avram Avinu, Abraham our father. And the reason why Abraham is called Abraham our father, because all of these tests, they became part of the spiritual makeup of Abraham, and subsequently the spiritual makeup of his children. And thus, the fact that we are itinerant and that we're wandering and that we, the Almighty sends us from place to place and we don't question him, well, where does that come from? That comes, it comes from Abraham. Abraham was the one who left his homeland and had to move and he didn't question God. And all these characteristics that are at play, that are exhibited in these tests, these are characteristics that become natural for the Jewish people. That's what the commentaries tell us. So if Abraham had done, had accomplished, had been successful in the first nine tests, how could we say that he's a failure? How can we say that there's no substance to the first nine had he failed? Please fulfill this. Please upstand this te- uh, be, withstand this test. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster, a catastrophe. Why? Why can't we say, it? listen, if Abraham failed a test, well, you know, sometimes people fail tests. It's very hard for him to have someone who's so sick. Why are we so harsh on Abraham that had he failed this one, it would disqualify all those that precede it? So I want to kind of give an insight into this that I heard from my grandfather and maybe a very valuable lesson that's very relevant to us. Abraham is building the spiritual profile of the Jewish people. If he doesn't finish the job, perhaps it's appropriate to say that really Abraham is a failure. If someone does a half job, someone doesn't complete it, Someone doesn't complete the task at hand. The task at hand for Abraham is 10 tests, 10, no less. Then even though you did nine, but if there's no completion, if there's no perfection, there's something, there's a blemish present by the entirety of the operation. Now, there's a lot of Talmudic teachings along this line. So for example, very scary teaching found in the Midrash and other places. It says, if someone begins a mitzvah, so you start the mitzvah, but you don't finish it. So the Talmud tells us, kover es ishtov es banav. He buries his wife and his sons. Why? And it takes a lesson from Judah. Judah, he started to save his brother Joseph. He was the one who interceded on his behalf to try to avoid killing him. 
But he didn't finish the job and he left him in the pit and then he ended up in Egypt. What Judah should have done is put Joseph on his shoulders and march him back to his father. He didn't do that. And what happened next? He got married and his wife died and his children died. And the idea behind this is, is that when you start a project, you start a mitzvah, it's worse sometimes not to finish it, to start, but to not finish, that's sometimes worse than to not start it at all. And therefore, Judah also started another mitzvah, the mitzvah of building a family, of building a legacy. He got married and he had children. But because he didn't finish the first mitzvah, the punishment was that he tragically had to bury his wife and his sons. He didn't get to finish the second mitzvah. That's one teaching that we see along these lines, that when if you don't finish something, it's worse to start and not finish than to not start at all. Uh, additionally, if someone begins a mitzvah, you start doing a mitzvah, but he doesn't finish it, and someone else finishes it, who gets the credit? To whom is this mitzvah attributed? And the answer is it goes whoever finishes it. Whoever achieves completion in a spiritual matter, they are the ones to whom the spiritual credit is accrued to. Even if the original person, the reason why he ceased operations was because it wasn't negligent, it was an accident, something happened, something came and disrupted it, that is enough for them to lose the spiritual credit of the mitzvah. And just to explain this idea, there's an amazing midrash uh, about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. There was a, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the leader of the Jewish people. He was a student of Rabbi Akiva. And he, uh, during the times of Roman rule, during the Hadrianic persecutions, he had to go into hiding. And he went into hiding for more than a decade. And then he emerged about the, in the 150s, not the 150s of the Common Era. And he led the Jewish people uh, in Israel at the time. So he had a yeshiva in the north. And he had one student that left the yeshiva and went to do business. And he went to Chutzlaritz. He went outside of Israel. And he was engaging in commerce. And he, come, he came back. And he came back very wealthy. So all the students that are in the yeshiva, they see their erstwhile classmate. He goes off into business. He leaves the base manager. He leaves the house of scholarship. And he's very successful. And they see him. And they're envious. And they say, they, they harbored a feeling. Maybe we should go to Chutzlaritz. We should go out to Israel. We should engage in commerce. And we'll also be rich. So the teacher... Rabbi Shimon Bar he sensed it. And he brought them outside to a valley. And he started praying. And he prays, Bikka, Bikka, valley, oh valley. Fill up, please, with gold dinars, with gold coins. And suddenly, miraculously, the entire valley is replete with gold coins. And Rabbi Shimon tells the students, you want gold? Here you go. Take your gold. But you should know, whoever touches a single coin, what you're actually doing is depleting your ulama by your spiritual world. Because there's no reward for Torah in this world, only reward for Torah in the next world. Pretty dramatic story. But what the lesson here is as follows. The students 
they see someone who has lots of money, who's lots of wealth, who maybe even has lots of honor. He's an important person. And they say, we maybe should stop pursuing our spiritual progress so that we could have something else. We could have reward. And what Rabbi Shimon is telling them, he's not telling them not to support your family. What he's telling them is an ideological insight. That is, in this world, you're here to work. In next world, you're there to consume. And just like there's no reward in this world, there ought to be no cessation of work in this world either. Now, I'm not trying to say that someone who works for a living is not doing mitzvahs or is doing something wrong. That's not the point. The, the deep insight that he's trying to show them is that don't make the mistake of thinking that your work, your spiritual work, is ever done. You know when it's done? Once you're dead. If you're alive, if the Almighty still gives you life, if your soul is still harbored within you, obviously you're supposed to be living in this world. And this world is about work. And Rabbi Shimon probably sensed amongst his students that they kind of had a shift and they wanted to have a little bit of the next world over here. And therefore he tells them, the second you stop progressing, the second you start trying to extract from your spiritual world, from the world of consumption, you're upending the equilibrium of the world. And if someone is looking for wealth or honor, says Rabbi Shimon, there's a little bit of you, there's a little inkling, a smidgen, a feeling, a scintilla of expression of the idea that you're done, that you're already, the time for reward has already come. Let's get back to Abraham. Had Abraham gotten off the train one stop early, had he been unsuccessful in the last test, indeed, we would have to call into question Abraham's entire journey. If you don't complete the job, the entirety of it is called into question. Because the second you fail in one test, what that actually shows is not just an isolated test, it demonstrates something about your perspective. Your perspective is one of you're no longer progressing, and if you're no longer progressing, by definition, you're regressing. And I think maybe a good way to think about this is that we have to realize the importance of what we're doing when we do mitzvahs. Suppose someone was in charge of something really important, something objectively important, uh, the nuclear codes, the nuclear football, or even, I don't know, the royal wedding. You can't say, well, I did 90% of the job. Because unless it's 100%, unless it's 1,000%, if there's any mess up, there's no room for error. There's no room for error. You know, imagine you have a, an airline flight. You know, you're flying from Houston to Miami. And the plane stops off in, I don't know, in Tampa or in Tallahassee or in somewhere else. We're, we're almost there, right? We're 90% of the way in Miami. You're not going to want to have a 90% or 10% refund, you want a full refund. You didn't pay to get you 90% of the way there. For some things, it's 100%. Abraham is building the spiritual nature of the Jewish people, the chosen people, the people, the nation that will bring the world to perfection, the nation that will achieve the Olam. That is his goal, his project. In this effort, 
there could be no room for failure. You can't say, oh, I only messed up in the last 10%, but everything else is A-OK. No, this needs to be perfect. But I think also, really, every mitzvah, every mitzvah in isolation is something something valuable. It's precious. It's the fulfillment of the purpose of creation. It really is very important. And the the Talmud tells us, in, in very scary terms, if you start a mitzvah and don't finish it, you're in deep trouble. Because you're not recognizing how important the effort is. You're saying, ah, a mitzvah, it's something that you kind of have a lot of them. You know, if I don't do this one, I'll get the next one. No one would say that if they're watching the nuclear codes, if I, well, I lost, we lost this one, but we'll get the next one. They will sure, no, you, there's no room for failure. Now, I'm, I think there's a danger of taking this in a depressing way uh, of saying, oh my gosh, if there's no room for failure and I'm invariably going to fail, then, it's just a, a pending disaster. I, I think, you know, maybe that's taken a little too harshly, but the, the ideology, the insight, the, the theme is that sufficing with mediocrity is not the Jewish way. And perhaps we could add, you know, like the Ruach Chaim told us that everything that Abraham did in these tests was part of the spiritual legacy that he bequeathed to his descendants. There is something about our character that we got from Abraham, that we want to finish the job. And we know not to stop before it's it's done. And we're here in this world, and we're here to accomplish something, and we can never stop improving. You know, I, I always said this line, how do, you re- how do you reach great spiritual heights? Well, the way you reach great spiritual heights is the same as Lowe's. You never stop improving. That's the tagline of Lowe's, the company. Either way, but... The, the thing I want to walk away is, number one, a mitzvah is very precious. It's important. It's something that you can't mess up on. And if you do mess up, okay, but at least you recognize that the, the goal is pursuit of perfection. And additionally, just the idea of what Abraham is doing, we read these parashios, and we read stories about Abraham lived a long time ago. You know, we're talking about 3,800 years ago. And the Torah gives us a lot of granular detail about what he was doing. And it seems like it's ancient stories. But in truth, what it really is, it's showing us, A, what the objective is, what the goal of our nation is, but also what the character of our nation is. And the character of our nation is one that's determined to bring God in the world and to withstand the tests and persevere until the very end. I want to thank Dan Coleman again for sponsoring this Parsha podcast in honor of his wife, Shauna, his daughter, Elsie, and her fellow classmates at Temple Beth Torah in Humble, Texas. If you want to sponsor a podcast, either on this channel or on other channels, you could do it in the recovery of someone, if someone, God forbid, sick, in merit of someone, in loving memory, in honor, you want to honor your spouse or your children or your coworker or whatever. You could also sponsor it anonymously. Uh, you can email me, rabbiwalbygmail.com, or you can make a donation via the website, via torchweb.org. I always have the link in the description and just put in your comments what you want to sponsor a podcast and to whom. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Shabbat Shalom. Have a good Shabbos and I'll see you next time.